Penny Dreadful, I always thought was a really cool concept. There's just a group of cards that are like, these are the pillars of the format. There's 200 of them. It's Lightning Bolt and Lava Spike. It's like all the staples and all the different decks, and you can just kind of like arrange them in a spreadsheet. Uh, we've talked about Ponza. We want to go to Jimmy's Grotto. We want to snack on that deep fried calzone. Why? I don't really know. Practically anyone can play Damping Sphere or like some amount of graveyard hate and, and you're done. And also, I'm going to be cracking some packs. I'll tell you guys if I open anything good. Dude, Marshall Sutcliffe is going to kill us if we do a crack a pack on the show. What's missing here is the best decks. What I wanted to do is say what's new or what's made a comeback, right? Like Ponza, Snow Control decks, and Dota Devastation. Earl is just still great. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, do you ever look at the background of like Dave and Mai's camera and look for subtle changes? You're like, well, what's happening in their rooms, in their lives? What's happening in their environments? Because I always feel like something's changing behind you. That's true. I just have a blank wall. That's true. I got I got a new backpack. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank goodness. You're running low. Yeah, you don't have 15 backpacks already. Well, we're going, uh, my fiance and I, our honeymoon is to go into like Moab and Zion and like Southwest glamping stuff. So we got some like backpacks with built-in camelback water tubes and stuff. If you need any pro tips on the on the on the equipment, just get at me. Really? You know about gear? <laughs> Surprisingly, camping gear? Weird. Whatever gear can be known about, Shane known about it. What about glamping gear? Well, what do you consider glamping, Stan? I'm curious. I'm I'm expecting a four-star hut. So you like gotta bring your ice cream maker? Yeah. Okay. I can't help you there. Wait, wait, wait. They have the ice cream maker there for four stars. Are you kidding me? You're not humping that in yourself. Come on. You paid for this. They have Rocky Road there for you. <laughs> also with us, the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. I've said my piece. Let's go. We put the word out to the Dive Down Nation for what they would like us to talk about this week. And one concept that got a lot of traction with everyone was a laid back episode where we take stock of magic at the middle of the year. So on this week's episode, we break down the last six months of Modern and Pioneer and try to tie it into the most recent competitive results from the weekend's challenges. The ones that fired, at least. Audible collar tug. Then we dive into a grab bag of listener questions and pull back the curtain a bit on our hopes, dreams, and desires in magic and beyond. But first, some housekeeping. Hello to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation, Nestor R., Josh W and Mark H. Thank you so much for your support. Also, shout out to Blue Cheese, who made an Apple account just to leave us a review for the podcast. Weirdly, it was like two stars. I don't know. <laughs> Blue if you're making an Apple account, Blue Cheese. No, it was it was it was a five stars. Thanks, Blue Cheese. Thanks, Blue. And if you'd like to support us, you can check us out at patreon.com slash the dive down. Uh, you can join our listener community on Slack. You can receive some great 
swag like pins, as we mentioned. We just remade. Uh, we have some other things as well, sticker sheets, etc. Uh, playmats. So if you want to join us at any level, patreon.com slash the dive down. And if uh, you got something else going on these days or want to give your money to somebody else, please go ahead. <laughs> we, will, we will be here. Appreciate the support from everyone in our community. But uh, we also love when people in our community support other worthy causes. So for sure. Totally agree, Dave. Um, one of our other ways of getting support is through manatraders.com. They are, I believe, the premier online rental service for Magic Online cards. Uh, we've used them for a long time. If you use sign up code the dive down, all one word, when you sign up, you first get 15% off your first three months of service, which is great. And we get a little kickback from that. So that is helpful to us. So thanks, Mana Traders. And thanks anyone who uses the dive down to uh, get their Mana Traders going or keep it going. All right. So here's how we're going to start the episode this week it's a breakdown. I know people like us to cover news about what's going on with the formats. It's going to be kind of like a longer term breakdown in a sense this week. We are going to be talking a lot about the six months in this year so far in the two formats that we cover, Modern and Pioneer. Now, Shane, you got a lot of notes here. There are some notes. What do you think people should be prepared for in this Dostoyevsky uh, and breakdown you're about to go, go on here? All right. So the way I broke this up was I thought we could talk about uh, the formats and like sort of the meta that has transpired over the first six months, our general thoughts and feelings about things, talk about what decks have been up and coming, what decks that are still around, maybe what decks uh, we believe, we may disagree on this, I, c I consider the falling stars of the format decks that are no longer as powerful as they may have been at the start of the year, and just kind of give our takes on where the formats are, where they might be going. Uh, Dave, I know you also have some hard breakdown data here. We can talk about the modern challenges to kind of check ourselves and get some very recent perspectives on the format and also um, some pioneer tournaments uh, that we found that actually did fire. So we'll talk about that. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of a little tease for maybe a topic we'll talk about in this section. So we're going to start with modern. Yeah. So some, someone, no, you want me to go into modern? I thought I was, was going to cover pioneer. Let's start with modern. Okay. It's where it all began. Yeah. So I think modern had a pretty dynamic and fair to say like well-regarded year so far. We've seen another a number of decks atop the meta. There was Prowess and Valakit, um, Urza, Amulet Titan, even Panza and Dredge was probably something that you considered tier one in the brief companion era. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that. Of course, we saw Burn, Luris, Jun, Devoted Devastation decks, all, all using Luris and also some Yorian decks to great effect. We saw some bans this year that we're going to talk about later. Following the Mox Opal and Oko and Lattice ban, everyone thought Amulet was going to own the metagame, and it kind of did because of Once Upon a Time for a while, uh, but it really hasn't been the case after that. You know, We've seen a really nicely diverse and shifting metagame, and people generally seem happy with Modern this year, and that's kind of amazing because Modern has been one of those formats since we've been covering it, that people have been, I think, at varying levels of satisfaction with. And right now, I think everyone seems pretty happy. Can I take that to the next level with maybe the first hot take of the day? If, if we're not having hot takes, what's the point of this podcast, Dan? I think Modern is, once again, the best and most fun format in Magic. Would you call it like the people's format? As uh, one of my old favorite podcasts, At Your End Step, used to call it? Uh, maybe. 
I don't know. I don't know if I would actually go that far. I just think in terms of deck diversity, the type of stuff that's good, the type of stuff that's playable, perhaps not tier one, but can still put up a fight, is is so diverse and interesting and in general so healthy that modern is about as good as it's ever been. Awesome. Dave, quick take on modern. It's what I want to play still. So, I mean, there's not really much better way to attest to it than that. When I fire up Moto, I'm excited to play in those queues. Awesome. So, like I mentioned, I think this is kind of based on the metagame data over the months, but also some seat of the pants assessment as well that I'm curious if, you know, how you guys will check me on this. So, are, so are you about to present like Shane's power rankings? Is that kind of <laughs> what these are? Are these like, these decks have an up arrow next to them. These, this group of decks have a red line next to them. And then the, the next ones have a red down arrow next to them. Is that, is that what we're doing? So what's, what I did is I looked at both goldfish data because they let you break it over a period of months and weeks which is cool and then also it's like mtgtop8.com i believe also has sort of historical decks to beat section where it's like january oh oh you know 20 february of 20 and stuff like that so i kind of used a combination of these factors to say like what was good and sort of has fallen off what was good for a short period of time in the companion era What's better than it was at the beginning of the year? So this is sort of a snapshot. Like, I think it's very challenging in Magic to say these are the good decks and these are the okay decks and these are the not so good decks because next week something could change where someone makes a new tech or the meta keeps shifting. And that's the best thing about Magic is a dynamic meta game. And, you know, something like Prowess could be showing up in a top eight. And that, you know, something that I think we actually saw. Or maybe in a top 32, at least. So all kind of stuff just happens all the time. So this is sort of like, this is very easy to poke holes in, but it's sort of looking at it in the aggregate, which is like, we have a lot of data. And so trying to say, what can we discern from that large amount of data, as opposed to cherry picking results from recent tournaments or something like that. So basically, Shane is going to present his findings and Stan and I are going to poke holes in them. This is this is what I'm looking forward to. Okay. Okay. So here's what I have seen and would consider the up-and-comers of the first six months, decks that have gotten better or have sort of come out of nowhere to be pillars of the format. Snow Control, and the reason that Snow Control I would put as one of the big up-and-comers, it was a pretty good deck before Uro, and then Theros Beyond Death in January gave us Uro. And I think people have figured out that Uro is one of the best cards in Magic, whether that's Standard, Pioneer, or Modern. And it's really some of the deck as a powerhouse of the format. Tough to argue with. I have some data to share about this later. Um, but if there was one card I would be keeping an, an eye on at this point in modern, it's Uro, I think, realistically, just for pervasiveness in the metagame. But tough to argue that it hasn't really made these snow control decks huge. Well, what do you mean by huge? Because I would call snow control the premier control deck of modern. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the challenges in a, in a minute. Like, let's go through Shane's list. But um, I think that the meta share, to me, once I really looked at what these two tournaments look like anyway, and my kind of recent experience of playing in the queues, it's um, it, there's a lot of people jamming Uro into various shells right now. Yeah. Um, also, up-and-comer, I believe, is Ponza. Uh, we've talked about Ponza we want to go to Jimmy's Grotto. We want to snack on that deep fried calzone. Why? I don't really know why this is still hanging on as a great deck. It's got, here's, here's some reasons. It's got fast mana. 
It's got land hate and it has Clothis. And I think that's combined to just create a popular and powerful deck that people are enjoying playing and has some both fast and endurance abilities to just let it have a play in all sorts of different games. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a, a lot of it's just Clothis straight up is just such a crazy good card that the modern format generally struggles to answer. Path to Exile doesn't always do it. Force of Negation doesn't do it. And the fact that it can skirt a lot of hate while also being like game one sideboard-esque hate gives this deck a sweet access that, you know, red-green mid-range land destruction strategies never had before. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm just going to keep banging the drum that it's all it's all about Clothis. Yep. And another deck that I, I, I'm not saying is necessarily tier one, but is has made a major comeback this first six months has been Devoted Devastation. Even after the companion nerf, Luris is still really powerful. It's powerful enough to run in this deck. It gets back every creature that's important to the combo out of the graveyard. And I think that people enjoy playing the strategy. So I think Devoted Devastation has made a major comeback uh, due to that. And so my next seg- section... I got a couple decks I want to add oh, please. to this section. Uh, I think one in particular that we haven't talked about, that we have talked about on the show, but have not talked about today, and it's not on your list later, is Ad Nauseam Control, or not, sorry, Ad Nauseam Combo, and other kind of combo-ish decks like that, I think are clearly positioned well right now, especially in a metagame where people like to play Burn and Prowess a lot and they also can do a pretty good job of going over the control decks so um going over the grindy kind of euro decks i guess is what i really mean and so i i would put that into the up and comers of the first six months of the year bucket as well definitely top top three combo decks are adnaz and devoted devastation in my opinion as well yeah so decks that are hanging on um, I don't know if we need to go through these one by one. I'm just going to, I'm going to do a list. You guys can tell me if you think I'm missing anything or if anything's misplaced here. So Eldrazi Tron, you know, it's mid range. It's, it's aggro. It's big mana. It's everything. Uh, humans, one of the few tribal decks that has definitely endured metagame shifts, whether that's mid range control, plague engineer. There's always new humans. <laughs> There's always new ones. We got a, we got a great Lord in humans and people seem to enjoy that one. So it always has game with things like Thalia, things like Meddling Mage. I had forgotten how annoying it is to play against a Thalia when you're on Prowess. <laughs> uh, until like the other night, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get out Storming Entity on turn two. It's going to be so great. And then I was like, ah! <laughs> gotcha. Um, Titan. Titan's still there. Uh, Resolve Titan's definitely scary in modern, and there's lots of great lands <laughs> for Titan to get up, to get out of the deck. Titan has three different game plans available to it now at least right we can amulet titan you with your with your uh, slayer stronghold uh all of that stuff kind of vibe we can just straight up valakut you and we can feel the dead you and we can do it in the same deck if we need to yeah at this point i feel like as long as we can either cast titan on turn two which a double amulet draw is capable of I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, as long as we can either cast turn two titans or nothing gets banned from that deck, I think this will always remain at least tier two. Yeah, and people love it too. Like the the community of titan players is extremely uh, reliable, extremely loyal. Rather, mm-hmm. 
they love the deck and they will keep playing it. Same with Storm. I think people love, certain people love playing Storm more than just Caleb Shearer love playing Storm, although he's been uh, still jamming it on his stream. If you can threaten a turn three, turn four combo very easily, then keep doing it. It's a it's it's a reliable deck, the same engine. Um, there's always maybe a few interesting pieces that people tinker with adding. We're you know we've seen a what's that new card from uh, Ikoria doing like a storm like thing? Song of Creation. That's it. Yeah, I still don't know how that works, but <laughs> I'll be looking forward to seeing it. Keeping an eye on it. Runs Barald. Does not run Goblin Electromancer in that deck. Just shows what I know. It's <laughs> not much. Burn's still around. Um, Still goes fast, still goes to the dome, <laughs> never goes to time. <laughs> dredge, still around. There's surprisingly always new pieces being added to Dredge when I, I, it keeps feeling like they do it by accident, but it can't be. It survived the looting ban. What other decks have really survived the looting ban? Arguably, the this is the only graveyard deck that actually survived Faithless Looting. Probably because of Creeping Chill. <laughs> yeah, maybe they should have banned Sodek all along. And I mean, look now with that Silver Smote Ghoul exactly. from M21. It's a totally different way to play the deck. Um, you know, we're even seeing it sometimes in combination with Uro and Pioneer and kind of like a weird graveyardy deck. So there's just a lot of powerful graveyard cards in Magic still, and Modern gets the best of them. Dredge is an absurdly busted mechanic, and so there you go. Yeah. And I think the the last deck, the last popular deck that probably sits in this, you know, still hanging on, still good enough is Death Shadow. You know, you have four Thoughtsies, you have Inquisition of Kozilek, you have Fetch Lands and Shock Lands. You're going to have some fast online Death Shadows beaten through. Yeah. Also, it doesn't hurt that it can sit alongside Tarmogoyf or Gurmog Angler, which are both castable on turn two, though they're never really in the same deck because there's a lot of tension between the, those two cards. Right. The fact that the shadow is flexible enough to like sit in this Thoughtseize mid-range shell and like accompany other huge threats, I think, also gives us a lot of staying power. It's this kind of classic archetype that just keeps on kicking. I think that this middle tier is a lot bigger than even. I mean, it, it would be hard for Shane to list all of the decks that are in this middle tier. I think personally, there are so many other things that I think of just sitting here. I think Delver is probably in this kind of like middle tier maybe middle tier minus right now is a deck that's viable and possible for people to play, whether it's, I mean, generally it's a Grixis shell that people are into, but you know, we've seen one emerge recently. That's kind of using that thieves guild card to power a graveyard centric Delver deck. I think that there is some energy building around those ever since Ikoria came out, you know, that's been something that's been on people's radar. The other deck I would throw on this list that is, missing from shane's kind of assessment is urza oh yeah oh yeah stuff is still super powerful whether you are trying to do traditional grixis sword combo kind of builds like the original were ones or you're trying to do something wilder that involves you know a deck that has kinnon and uh urza and uh karn all that kind of stuff in it there's there's a lot there i think you're falling into my trap dave which is that this is not necessarily a full tier assessment. It's sort of like th what's missing here is the best decks, right? Like I think what I have here is sort of like what I wanted to do is say what's new, like or what's or what's made a comeback, right? Like Ponza, Snow Control decks, and Dota Devastation. Uro is just still great, right? 
And there's and like the sort of like hangers on is like you could like these decks are like the same and they're still good. But like I think Uro is still great. You mean Urza or Uro? Yeah, yeah, Urza. Urza yeah. plus Uro is just great, right? So like I, I like you said, it's not an exhaustive list. So Stan, what you got? I would potentially challenge the notion that Delver is still hanging on. I think that's kind of a, a pet card for a lot of people, sometimes myself included. It's more of an up and comer. Like right now, it's like it's a really fresh up and comer, potentially. Maybe. I mean, I'm of the opinion that until we have Brainstorm in modern, so probably never, Delver is just like not going to be that great ever again. But I, I'll, I'm happy to be wrong. I will say, though, I would put Blue Moon in this category as this like blue red control shell that can cast like both Cryptic Command and Force of Negation and Blood Moon. And like we keep seeing it iterate, whether it's with adventure cards, whether it's with Thing in the Ice, to find a way to like, you know, play control without having to play Path to Exile, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's the good thing and the failing of Blue Moon, right? Is that you don't get to play Path to Exile. It's a great way to sum it up. But there are so many, I think for me, and I'm sorry if I mischaracterized your like exercise here, Shane, but I do think that's how people are going to engage with this content is that this middle tier of modern is vast i think and that's part of why it's good right now is because there's a lot of space for us to i think there's a lot of space for people to get back to that like i am a blank player kind of vibe of modern and that's what people want out of their eternal formats i think is you know i'm i'm a etron player like that's how i identify who i am so i think for some of our i am a blank players the next section they're gonna take some umbrage with a few of them, because here's what I call the falling stars. And I think these are decks that statistically are not as good as they were perhaps six months ago. The the Brendan Frasers of the bunch. <laughs> so the first one kind of hurts me to say, but I think Tron is uh, falling a little bit this year. It's just hard to keep up, right? With a super fast format, with aggressive format, with combo based format. Ponza has main deck land hosing and land destruction. There are other decks that run similar effects. So it's just, it's it's not a great environment for Tron. Of course, you're going to see it still succeed now and then, but I think it's not as good as it was. I, I also wonder if part of that has to do with the fact that like three really fast combo decks are near or at the top of the metagame. So if we have multiple decks that can threaten turn three kills, it kind of laughs at your turn three Karn because Karn is is good, but Karn doesn't just win the game as soon as it comes down. You can still play around it. Yeah, and there's a lot of just fast decks, non-combo style that are good against Tron too, whether that's Burn or Prowess. Yeah, so speaking of Prowess, I have Prowess in this section. What's what's your take on that in terms of a deck that's statistically not as good as it used to be? Dave's shaking his head I on mean, camera. I don't know. I mean, it's certainly took a hit from it was the best deck during the companion meta i think most people would agree with with that it was one of the best two or three um i think that it's a really good aggro deck still and if you play it the right way there's a lot of chances to succeed with grinding via bedlam reveler so i think there's a lot of options i've still been in the last week trying to get stormwing entity to work i've been seeing more and more people get behind that train a certain certain build of that kind of uh, piloted by spider space and a couple other people. Um, so I think that it's got uh, power to be around. It might not be as popular right now. It, it is tough to play against Uro. 
Oh yeah. But hey, that's what that's what main deck surgical extractions are for now. God, my favorite thing to do in modern main deck surgical. I kind of think that what Shane is speaking to a little bit here is that prior to the companions, prowess was getting weaker. And we were definitely seeing that when we had Ryan on for the bonus episode, he had acknowledged that as well. And there's kind of like this ebb and flow between prowess and burn, which is like the best red aggressive deck. And I think right now in this moment in July 2020, we're seeing potentially burn be slightly better of the two, perhaps because it has Path to Exile and some other cards in white that mono red just can't play. And maybe the jury's still out and whether like the blue red prowess version can kind of overcome some of the problems that mono red was starting to deal with since Uro got printed. Aethergust is what I have to say to that. But yeah. All right, another hot take. Jund. Jund doesn't seem as good as it used to be. It's, it's not showing up as frequently as it used to in our in the tournament metadata. Uh, ever since sort of the Luris Jund got nerfed, it seems like Jund has taken a big hit that it hasn't really recovered from. And you know we're going to talk about results of this weekend's challenges after this, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is a kill. This is one challenge. One challenge. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think a much easier deck to put on this list is Scales. Uh, scales since the Mox Opal ban really has lost a lot to that. Non-snow control decks, I think, are much less popular than the snow-based control decks, um, uh, except for perhaps, like Stan was saying, sort of the blue-red based ones. I think the Azorius-based ones have moved heavily in, into snow. There's a really sweet list coming up from this weekend, though, in the non-Uro category of control that we can talk about. But I generally agree. It seems like everybody should just be running. It's not, I don't think that the snow lists are really so much as they really are Uro control in my mind. There, there's a lot of snow payoffs in them, but to me, it's like Uro's the key card. Quaddle is very good, but like it, it's really Astrolabe Uro that's making that stuff go. And then a couple more options that I'm not even sure were particularly good, even at the start of the year, like Spirits is not really popular and not really around, but I'm not even sure it was that popular in the beginning of the year. Yeah, it's still RIP. And Niv to Light. We're definitely not seeing as much Niv to Light. I feel like some of the, you know, Lawson, as we mentioned, a big grinder on history and was grinding a ton of Niv to Light. I think he's moved on from that. Uh, are we seeing much of that? I don't think statistically we are. I actually saw more of it in Pioneer over the the weekend that I saw, but... um. Yeah, I think Niv to Light is just moved out of the format completely. I think it maybe struggles with some of the issues that Junt does in terms of like this little, you know, slightly dirtily mid-range slash control strategy. I think Ponza is probably a problem with main deck land hate and blood moon effects. I think that's something that Niv to Light is very vulnerable to. Even though it does run Astrolabe, it also runs Pillar of the Parunes, which is, you know, really important to that strategy. I do have a deck that I want to add to the top tier before we move off of here, or as far as up and comers go, and that is Goblins. Mm, just already just put it right, just slap it in there. I mean, as far as like up and comer new decks that are actually good go, I think that, you know, the last week has not lessened the deck's prospects at all. It's showing up in challenges, it's showing up in multiple copies. It didn't win another challenge this week. But it's definitely there. People are talking about it. It's definitely still good. It's just one of those things that's like a combo, a grind, plus the power of Aether Vial together in, in one shell is, is going to be powerful in, in modern. Yeah. And, and on that note, before people leave messages on Reddit, like this isn't an exhaustive list. 
we didn't talk about Infect. We didn't talk about Bogles. We didn't talk about Merfolk. Like, these are all real decks. Mono Blue Tron. No, it's, yeah, it's not an exhaustive tier list. It's just kind of like better, the same, worse type thing. So and there's a lot of things that are the same. Yeah. But if you want to let us know what you think, get at us in the com- in the comments on Reddit. <laughs> Stan is there to reply to people's comments every week. He loves it. He took this Friday off. He'll be there. Dave, you said you had some uh, metagame stuff for us, right? Some recent challenges? Yeah, I think now that we've talked about this kind of list, let's talk about some real data. What do you think about that? Yeah, let's get through this. Let's do it. There were two challenges this week in Modern. Both fired. Surprise, surprise. Sweet. Best Um, format. Yeah, so the first one is dated July 5th on the MTGO results, which I think actually means it was on July 4th. But um, so this top eight was totally packed with MTGO killers, okay? We have TSP Gendrick, who's a well-known uh, player from Poland. We have uh, Zach Allen, A22EN. We have 1YO, 2YO, who has a bunch of challenge finishes going back to mid-2019. And a player named uh, Zayurayo, who actually won who also has a ton of results in uh, in various format challenges going back at least three or four years. So this is one of those top eights where like, there was a lot of people here playing it. So why don't we go through the top eight list? This challenge is won, as I mentioned, by Zorayo on Jund. Now, even a stop clock. <laughs> now, it is a little bit of a weird Jund. It's Luris Jund without a Luris in the sideboard. It's got Luris in the main deck, two of Ooh. them. And Mishra's Bauble still in the deck. It's got Seal of Fire. So it's playing the Luris Jund game. It's just playing it like it's a main deck card, which I think is is cool. You know, I mean, there's a ton of, of things in here that you can still get. It's got some Bloodbraid Elves. It's got one Kroxa because that's still kind of kicking around to be able to do some cool Titan stuff. And uh, that's where we're at. In second place was the player Dark Kiyunsa with the aforementioned bant snow control so this is a yorian list on the snow control uro kind of deck and what i have to say is how cool is it that the finals of this tournament was jund versus blue white control basically so you know we can infer here that jund won that that match and what i find interesting is that like the adage often goes that mid-range loses to control i wonder what maybe Luris gives the Junt plan, like if it's Luris, in fact, that gives the Junt plan some kind of game against control strategies or whether it was just like luck and variance that kind of helped. Well, I have a couple thoughts. One is that Luris lets you grind Nihil spell bombs. And so you can try to get people's Uros. You can try to get their graveyard payoffs. You can try to get the stuff that, that the blue eye control player is going to try to get back with Mystic Sanctuary, which is nice as well. The other thing I would say is that this Jun list was running two boil in the sideboard, which is always kind of helpful <laughs> to try to get some decks with islands. And um, I think that Kroxa actually probably does pretty good work. I'm just noticing this is a Yorion Bant Snow deck. Yeah. Yeah. It's Yorion Bant Snow. What is this? April? Yeah. The last thing I would mention about the Jun deck that probably helped it against this this deck is that it has three Ashiok Dream Render in the sideboard to just do repeatable exile effects and also keep people from searching their libraries. The uh, the band control deck, very kind of stock, what you'd expect. It's got a good Planeswalker suite. 
It's got uh, one to Fairy Master of Time, which is pretty sweet to see showing up here in Modern already. It's got your Ice Fang Coatl, your Uros, Supreme Verdict, Winds, Archmage's Charm, Cryptic Command. It's got all the stuff that you would expect. The card that shows up in these lists that I think a lot of people forget about is Abundant Growth, which is something that you have to use in these lists basically to pad out your deck to be able to run Yorian and still have enough cantrips to make your card kind of like card dilution not that uh, great. Yeah, I, I'm also loving the two Shark Typhoons, which is... I kind of think this card is here to stay. I think it's kind of earned its place in modern, certainly has in Pioneer. Definitely a staple. Third place, TSP Gendrick on Saltai Snow, which is kind of a different take on this. Leans heavily on Abrupt Decay and Fatal Push instead of using Path to Exile and things like that. It basically is a removal suite. The sweeper that it has is Dead of Winter. Yes, finally seeing some play. We, we predicted this in our Horizons uh, spoiler and set review episodes that Dead of Winter likely has some play in a snow control deck, and it seems like we're finally reaching that point. It turns out it just took a broken 3CMC Simic Mythic to make it happen. <laughs> hey, all in good time. Yeah. <laughs> good cards eventually get good. Fourth place, Loriwa with Etron. Pretty normal looking Etron list until you get to the artifact slots and see that it's running four Maze Mind Tome, which seems to be the cool tech that everybody is going for from M21 in Etron. So I'm going to read Maze Mind Tome because I don't think people necessarily know this card. Maze Mind Tome is a two CMC artifact. It says tap, put a page counter on Maze Mind Tome, scry one. Two colorless and tap, put a page counter on Maze Mind Tome, draw a card. Finally, when there are four or more page counters on Maze Mind Tome, exile it. If you do, gain four life. So it's this weird kind of uh, combination of like Crystal Ball, which was like an uncommon in M11 that lets you scry repeatedly and Jam Day Tome and a little bit of life gain all in one thing. Not sure how effective this is being for people, but... I think um, it's popped up in enough of Etron list that I think there are a lot of believers out there right now. We'll see if it sticks. Yeah, this is such a weird and interesting card. It's like both kind of synergistic with Ugin the Ineffable, where it's just a one drop. You know, if you have Ugin out. Also, you know, Karn the Great Creator can fetch it from Exile. There's better cards to catch out of Exile. But, you know, like if you're dying to just like keep Sifton through your deck, that's also an option. I think that what's going on here, if I was going to guess really quick, is that somebody decided they didn't want to ramp off of Mindstone. What they wanted to do was be able to have some extra card selection in the deck. It's maybe where the idea started, and then it kind of goes from there. Because if you play this on turn two and scry, at least you have a chance to know if you're going to draw like some bum card or like not the the land that you wanted or try to set yourself up for another play, which is something that, that Etron didn't really have previously, you know, it didn't really have a ton of card draw, you know, regardless of what, uh, Ugin, the ineffables kind of activated abilities are tough to get card advantage in that way. And so I think just trying to experiment with that is probably where this started. I've heard mixed results from people in our Slack of people who have already tried this deck with this card in it, but, and it also seen on Twitter, people kind of go like, eh, I don't know about this. But um, interesting little piece of tech there. Yeah, I just, I'm looking at something like Mystic Forge. And it's like, isn't Mystic Forge just better than this? But it's like, yeah, all Mystic Forge costs four. So this is just sort of like a better curve filler. 
Like on, you don't have a ton of stuff to do on two all the time in this deck, so it just gives you something to do uh, if you have two mana and a Maze Mind Tome. So. Yep, and they just said, we don't want to ramp. No more Mind Stone. All right, fifth place, Zach Allen on Blue-White Control. This is a Miracles deck. Surprise, surprise. I'm not surprised. Allen loves playing Control. Well, yeah, but more, you know, a deck with four Terminus feels like it's from just about a year ago. I think that part of where this kind of thing can come from is there's a lot of dredge floating around, or there felt like there was a lot of dredge floating around. So I could see this being kind of like an, an entree for something like this. It's one of the only control decks that I saw over the weekend that did not have Uro in it. So I also wonder if it has something to do with that the ability to trigger Terminus at instant speed, whether it's through Teferi Master of Time, which has two copies in this deck. Also, there's a four frantic inventory. My point being that, oh, and of course, the Mystic Sanctuary. My point being, like, if you're trying to gun against goblins and you're trying to disrupt a creature combo at instant speed, Terminus seems like a pretty good way to do that, too. Great point. Yeah, it also, of course, has four opt, which does the same thing. So it's all about being able to draw on your turn and on your opponent's turn, including Mystic Sanctuary to set yourself up. I think that makes a a ton of sense. Uh, I will say, seeing four of Frantic Inventory in this deck and in a couple of other decks has definitely made me kind of start to reassess my assessment of that card. I haven't played with it yet, but um, boy, I was not thinking that we would see a number of players pick it up and try it out and do well with it. I think Aspiring Spike even had a list that had four Frantic Inventory in it as well. I've seen it a couple other places as well. Did you crack a playset when you opened your Core 21 box this weekend? I did. Yeah, I did. Set them aside. Ready to ready to sleep him. Didn't get a goblin snoop though. Mm. But that's okay. Robbed. Yeah. But yeah, I could sleeve this deck up. Maybe I will just sleeve it up and, and lose horribly with it. Wait, you got to fairies? I got one. It just goldfish it, Dave. Yeah, just hang out at my house and goldfish blue <laughs> my miracles deck. It's great. Okay, sixth place. Buster Brown with a straight up brew. Five color elementals. Here we are. Sixth place in the challenge. Not a brew. This is not a brew? Dude, Elementals has been showing up since Lightning Scale Elemental was printed. Like, there was the the red-black deck, and then there was the five-color Elemental deck, because that was when Flamekin, David Harbinger, like, spiked in price. Well, what's, what, is our, what is our baseline for the word showing up, the phrase showing up to be relevant here? Like, existing is different than sixth place in a modern challenge. Totally agreed, but it was kind of a mainstay in the 5-0 dumps for months. This build? Yeah. Okay. Why would I lie? I think you might be positively remembering something that was a little bit different. <laughs> I don't remember seeing one that had four Unsettled Mariners and the Phantasmal Image and Omnath Locus of the Royal as, like, this crazy over-the-top, I'm going to play... Omnath while I have a ton of elementals out on the board and just kill you, basically. Five color elemental players, let us know if this version of the deck is appreciably different than the the five color version that has kind of been coming and going from the leagues for the last year or so. I will say, this has one of my M20 calls in it that everybody made fun of me for, which is Risen Reef. Yes. Potentially the best card in the deck, in fact. <laughs> it's so good. I had no idea elementals had its own land in primal beyond like an elemental multi like a sliver Mm -hmm. sliver hive type thing like an auntie's hovel basically for elementals wow 
No, I did not know about this card either. Seems good. Huh. All right. Five color elementals. Okay. Seventh place. Shorak, one, two, three, with Saltai Reclamation Snow this time. So more of a kind of like Wilderness Reclamation take on that whole thing, uh, but still basically an Uro control list. It's got more spells in it. It's got some extra lands. So it's got a little bit higher land count, so you're really doing stuff. And of course, it has really annoying card, Nexus of Fate. Finally, 1YO, 2YO with Grixis Wurza Sword. So this top eight was one half control, one half not, was what I would say. Three of the decks had Uro in them. There are, it's a diverse deck of group of decks still, I think. And even the control list, while they do share a lot of um, similarities, they have little kind of iterations on each other as well. So let's talk about the top 32 of this one really quick, because there are a bunch of other stuff down there. Ton of Uro, I didn't count them all. And a ton of Etron, including Yama Killer, was one of the pilots in the mid kind of places of this this tournament, as was uh, Gabriel Nassif. Bob the Dog came in 11th on a Saltai Uro deck. There were just a ton of different decks in this. There's Jun Shadow, there's uh, Storm, Titan, Devoted Devastation, Goblins Burn. There's a Blue Red Prowess deck that came in around 25th, I think, in this. There's a Grinding Breach Urza, there's Dredge, and there's Sodak on Adnaz. This top 32 was stacked. Yeah, it's a lot of good players. Most interesting thing, I think, is, you know, Shane was talking earlier about, like, what's the motivation to play different versions of Uro? I'm not quite sure, but we have all of the possible combinations here. In this top 32, there is a there is at least one Bant Uro deck, one Saltai Uro deck, or multiple, as we talked about, and Teamer Uro as well. Basically, it seems like these are all decks trying to decide which removal spell is the best for them to have. Do you want to run Lightning Bolt? Do you want to run Fatal Push? Or do you want to run Path to Exile? Yeah, I mean, powerful card. Um, I think we'll talk about it a little bit later after we run through the the next top eight at least, because we have another one, right? We have another challenge. I think we got we can probably got to move through this one a little bit more quickly, right? No, I think we should do it slower, even. No, just as long. Yeah, just drag it out. I'm just gonna take my time. I'm really gonna take my time. All right, so this one was won by Etron Bullzoi with more Mind Maze tomes in their deck. They had three Mind Maze tomes. Wins it against uh ponza no spice pretty much the deck that we've all come to know and love it feels like kind of the stock ponza list do you think that's right stan yes and uh in fact having a little bit of experience with this matchup i can say that unlike the previous challenge where i was surprised that mid-range beat control i am not surprised to see etron beat ponza clothis not great in the matchup therefore i think your potential like your favorability to win is is a bit lower and especially, you know, your Blood Moon effect can be killed by Dismember, right? And so that's that's yeah. kind of bad. That's right? also true, yeah. Yeah. So further down, we have Th- Thua Ajitain. Wow, I don't know about that. In third place with uh, Teamer Snow. As I was mentioning earlier, you know, this one, instead of Wraths, is running Sweltering Suns, which is like an Anger of the Gods kind of effect. It's running... Narset part of the veils it's running Renin six it's running lightning bolt like that's kind of like the stuff you get in the red package instead of what was going on in the other decks so we got all kinds of different flavors of uro going on over here uh in fourth place we had our first show up of devoted devastation bant snow in fifth place piloted by 
Zayu Ryo, who actually won the other challenge. So this person came in fifth in the second challenge of the weekend and first in the first challenge of the weekend. So it's a pretty good weekend, two different decks. In sixth place, we have Sodak on Adnaz, which is the deck that he has been playing in addition to Dredge a good amount of time these days. It's it's not the first time we've seen him on it, I don't feel like. Uh, Saltai Snow in seventh place. And finally, Goblins in eighth place. So we had one goblin show up in the top eight of the challenges over the weekend. Yeah. Uro. Uro. A lot of places. It's everywhere. The rest of this top turn, top 32, more band snow, red prowess with Gigantha in the sideboard, which I think might be a typo of some kind or a misclick. <laughs> uh, we got red prowess with kiln fiend dredge blue, red, red control from aspiring spike was down in the mid twenties. If I remember right, 17th place. 17th place. There you go. Yorian, Bant, Stoneforge, like straight up Stoneforge Mystic deck, and a mill deck as well in this top 32, in addition to a lot of the other stuff I mentioned in the last challenge as well. So like Goldfish claims that Uro is the most popular creature in modern right now. Does not seem like an exaggeration. I don't think it's an exaggeration either by my like gut math. I think that Uro's in like 20 to 25% of the decks right now. And so it's getting a lot of little dodgy there. There's lots of different shells that use it, but um, it's cool to see that it didn't win either of these tournaments, but there sure is a lot of different shells coming up around that Titan. It's a good Titan. It's a good Titan, Bron. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It kind of reminds me of primeval Titan, even like once they've resolved an arrow, you know, when they cast arrow for three, I'm like, fine, you, you got it. But when they cast Uro for four, that's when I'm like, I don't think I can ever win. And it, and that's the feeling I get whenever I play against Primeval Titan 2. So what I'm curious about after all this, spent a lot of time on Modern, which is good. Um, how do you two feel about Modern this year? First six months of this year. Dave. Well, I just talked a long time. Yeah. Stan. <laughs> I'm loving it, man. I'm loving it. Like I said, I think it's right now. Maybe... That hasn't been the case all year. Uh, I'll, I'll give you that. But like right now, I think it's the best format. I mean, I'm going to just like steal some of the stuff that Dave said because I would have co-signed with him anyway. But I, I'm a big fan of just like the sheer duck diversity in modern and the fact that even though Uro is the most popular creature and Bant Snow Control is arguably the best deck, it, it's not the only tier one deck. And, you know, given the fact that like this card is really powerful. This deck is really powerful. I don't go into modern leagues thinking I'm going to deal with like snow control after snow control after snow control match. Because if you're a control player, you like it. If you're not a control player, you're still not necessarily incentivized to play this deck because other strategies have a lot of game against it. And I'm kind of at the point now where like the format is so diverse and healthy and fun that, you know, I, I think one of you guys alluded to it earlier in this episode. This feels like a nice moment where you get to focus on whatever your favorite deck is because there's so many viable strategies that you can kind of hone your skills rather than being forced to play Oko or Hogak or like Phoenix or whatever the tier zero is. Totally agree. It's like you took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) You just wrote them before I got a chance to write them. Otherwise, it would have been verbatim. Same. Totally true. I think that the big summation for me is like, as someone who manages to get in two to three leagues a week, 
which is kind of like where I'm at, unless I'm really trying to grind something for a deck dive that we're doing, where I try to get a couple more in if I can. It feels fun and healthy, and I feel like night overnight, round over round, it's enough of a varied experience that I think it's interesting. Now, if people keep like picking up Uro, it's going to get annoying and I will have to change my deck because, or the deck that I enjoy playing the most because it's a bad matchup, but there's other things I like playing too. And that's okay. Maybe I'll play some Ponza like Stan does, or maybe I'll try some other things, you know? Shane, what do you think about modern? You know, I like it for the reasons you all mentioned, which is one, we have a diverse meta that doesn't put people in the position to have to play something in order to succeed, which is where I think we might feel Pioneer is, and we'll get to that in a minute, where like the best decks are very clearly the best decks. And I think Modern has a lot of great decks. And like you've mentioned, it has angles of attack against some of the most powerful players in the meta. And I think Watsi has done a good job of turning Modern into a format, whether that's through bannings or through printings, that give people a lot of powerful tools without being busted in a truly you know, broken way that makes it unfun, where it's like, you know, Hogak or something like that, or even let's say Urza when it had Mox Opal, perhaps. And, you know, just taking a little bit off the top here, getting rid of some of the craziest cards in the format. Uh, Once Upon a Time, Mox Opal, uh, Oko. Those are the kind of things that I think have made it into a better format, and I think it's probably the strongest format in the game that we have right now. I think we'll unfortunately be spending a little bit less time in our next segment, which is our Pioneer six-month assessment. I'd say in contrast with Modern Pioneer in 2020 is a lot less beloved. Like the first three months of Pioneer in the end of last year were pretty great, right? Like we had lots of experimentation, lots of brewing, dynamic meta, in, uh, bands that were keeping people on their toes, and then we had Theros Beyond Death. We had the printing of Thassa's Oracle. We had Underworld Breach. We got Heliod Suncrowned. Enter into the combo meta, and that's really where we have found ourselves for the six months besides the the companion meta. I, I don't feel like I've ever seen a smaller set of cards cause such a profound change in a format ever. It's very strange to just be like, here's these four cards they mess everything up. Yeah. I mean, it just it's it's a battle between Demir Inverter, Lotus Breach, and Mono White Devotion for like our combo supremacy metagame. And the other decks are sort of just fighting for the scraps. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but we've seen Inverter at 25% of the competitive metagame, right? And that's not something that I think is necessarily healthy or really well enjoyed. I mean, when in Companion Era, we had Boros Burn, we had Orzov Auras, they crept up to be the top of the meta. They were briefly eclipsing like Demir Inverter and White Devotion decks, but the nerf to Companion really reduced those decks back down into being secondary or even tertiary players, I think, in the format. So we know these best combo decks, so let's sort of repeat what we did with Modern. Talk about the up-and-comers, if there are any in the first six months. And I think there are. So we have, I think Mono Black Vampires is back in a big way. And I think it's really just the combination of like the removal options, which are steadily improving and the ability to disrupt those combo decks with a hand disruption and setting a clock allows this to probably be the best creature deck in the format. And I don't think there's too much comparison to anything else that's just like, hey, I want to put some creatures on the board I want to mess with your game plan and get my damage in. 
Esper Control, I think, is is an up and comer. Uh, Yorian has really made this into a legitimate deck, even post companion nerf for sure. I think it's kind of the, I think the de facto best control deck if you want to not consider Inverter a control deck. Naya Winota, which we recently covered, that's certainly a deck that didn't exist until ILOB. Uh, the explosive potential of that deck is pretty much unmatched by anything else in the format, uh, creature wise, especially. And Boros Burn. Even uh, Luris made people sort of take note of this deck, but even post nerf, uh, Luris seems like it's a viable option for this deck to keep using. It's the closest thing we have to modern burn, and it certainly doesn't seem that bad. People keep winning with it. It's interesting to me still that in Pioneer, the companions are okay to play as companions, maybe a little more so than in modern, where it's like, Hey, uh, you know, Luris mostly is what I'm thinking about here. I saw it in some Sram Auras decks still. It's still in Boros Burn. It's kind of cool to see that that's hung on a little bit because I think the way they are now is reasonably costed. And, and maybe it's actually worth clarifying, um, even though Breach and Inverter and Heliod may be considered up-and-coming strategies because they're fairly new. We're not talking about them because they're so obvious. Like, we know they're the three best decks. We don't need to kind of harp on the fact that they're up-and-comers or whatever. We're just going to set them aside. They're the Beatles. Yeah, and we don't want to talk about them anymore. Decks that are hanging on, uh, I'd say Salti Delirium. It's, you know, like a mid-range deck you'd expect. Hanging on, it's playable but not overpowered. It gets Uro, so there you go. Spirits. Get some tempo, get some disruption, get some tribal lords. Uh, it's it can be fast, it can be grindy, it can disrupt people. Certainly has play. Potentially has the best counter spell in the format now. Oh yeah, and people are definitely in on the what, what the the flight counter spell, lofty denial. Well, the yeah the big the uh, what mana beak. So <laughs> mana beak's good. And mono red, mono red's still hanging on. It's you know whether it's prowess or chonky. There's something that's either hyper aggressive, maybe more mid range. A lot of different versions of this deck still hang on. Slightly different than burn, but still you know same concepts. Uh, can go you know, and you can play at the speed that you want or you think is is best for the meta. And I'm not going to go through this list, but the falling stars are basically everything else in my opinion. Like we we'll see install artifact pop up here and there. We'll see maybe like a Boros Feather or a Boros Prowess type deck pop up here and there. But like Green Black Stompy and Scales and Gruel Aggro and Orzhov Auras and Niv to Light are all these decks that just are not consistently showing up in Pioneer events when they fire. Yeah, I mean, and here's here's the thing. So we wanted to talk a little bit about some data about Pio the same way that we did about Modern. But as Shane mentioned... The Pioneer Challenges did not fire. Only one of them fired last weekend. So the weekend before 4th of July and over the weekend of 4th of July, neither challenge fired, which is really a shame. And so what we had was we could look at some leagues and we looked at one prelim that's happened since the end of June. So here's some of the results from Pioneer. Basically, there have been three events, like I said, two leagues, one prelim on July 2nd. Uh, the the deck dump that we got from Pioneer had 18 decks. It had all the staples. It had Inverter, Breach, Mono White Devotion. It had some really sweet other decks in here. You know, it had Red Green Possibility Storm, Burn with Stoke the Flames, which is one of my favorite cards that I feel like is always right on the bubble of being good. Niv Mizzet with Uro, 
Dubious Challenge Combo, Mono Black, Mono Black Vampires, Mono Green, Mono Red, Sram Heroic, or Orzava Oros, as we called it. Blue Light Control, Cycling Combo, which is a really cool deck that kind of ports the that Zenith Flare card from ILOB into a really powerful deck. Uh, a Red Black Reanimator deck that is really cool that I think is definitely worth looking at. Saltai Delirium, it feels like a lot of decks when you look at it. And the July deck sixth deck dump was not that different. There were 19 decks in that one. You know, there's a feather deck, a Simic Reclamation deck, two different in soul decks, including ones that's a wild Grixis build. Uh, there's a really interesting Fires and Chance for Glory build that doesn't have Luca. It's kind of like a uh, control, like take a take extra turns kind of deck. I think couldn't quite tell how that one was working. Blue-White Spirits with Lofty Denial, as Shane mentioned. Red-Green Aggro. I definitely saw like a Green-Black Aggro list in here at one point in time, too. There isn't really a new deck to come from M21 in this list, but it feels like there's a lot of diversity when you just see this. I think the problem is that when you look at something that isn't obscuring the data or isn't like, is more, allows us to see the frequency of decks happening... We, you know, if we look at the one prelim that we had since the end of June so far, from July 22nd, or sorry, from July 2nd, we have this. We have one 5-0 deck. It's Inverter, piloted by Gulducat, who is a absolute crusher on Moto and plays Inverter a ton. We have, in the 4-1 bracket of this, uh, prelim, we have an inverter, a Sultai Traverse, a, a red-black reanimator deck, which is worth looking at, and Esper Control. And then in three twos, we have the Sultai Uro kind of dredgeless dredge list, two inverter lists, a blue-white control, Sultai Traverse Uro, so another kind of like just traverse deck with Uro, and finally another inverter deck. So what that means that is that out of the results that were reported for this event, there were 11 decks. Five of them were Inverter. Three of the other decks had Uro. Thoughtseize was in 80% of the decks that were reported out, and Fatal Push was in 72%, as was Mystical Dispute. Rough. <laughs> now, Stan, what's your reaction to the fact that the challenges aren't firing and that this is what stuff is looking like? Well, I hate to say it, but the fact that the challenges aren't firing like, kind of doesn't surprise me. And I think you could try to chalk it up to holiday weekend, but I don't think that holds up because, like, the modern challenge fired with, like, all the killers were over there. Maybe that speaks to how much more popular modern is, but, like, people were around to play and they just chose not to. I believe that the vintage challenges fired as well, which is one of the least popular formats on Moto, my understanding. Vintage challenge fired, legacy challenge fired. Here, here's what I'll say. I think it's a little heartbreaking. I don't complain about Watsy a lot, certainly not on the show. I don't think I do, at least. But the utter lack of acknowledgement for what's going on in Pioneer is confounding to me, right? This format is less than a year old, and right out the gate, they demonstrated that they knew how to make a good format. Like, their principle with the Monday bans. The fact that when they introduced the format, they just took Fetchlands out of the way. The fact that when they introduced the format, they're like, there's going to be high-level paper support. They kind of showed they know how to do it right. They know how to generate interest in, in like, this new thing. And as soon as things kind of got difficult due to COVID, yes. Like, COVID is, is had a non-zero impact on the health of this format. But the fact that, like, they still have control and autonomy 
and maybe after we record they're gonna say we have a band coming next week but just like the complete radio silence about what's happening in pioneer i find really disappointing and i'm almost at this point now where i kind of wonder like the companion nerf was great in every other format but like for a minute there after elob came out like Pioneer was a lot more exciting and interesting than it is now, because if nothing else, at least then we could play aggro decks too. Like, you can't play aggro right now, you just have to play combo. And maybe with Luris in the format, like, you got to play mono black, and you got to play uh, blue, white, and soul, and you got to play, like, the, the auras deck. And it felt, if nothing else, we had a little bit more diversity there, even though all the decks just happened to run companions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can hear that. I think I mean that you might be overlooking like a few of the the most aggressive decks that can get into the combos, but I think you know, broadly, I think you're right, and I would agree that the hardest part is the le- the communication, and that's something that I think you can say about Watsi in general. Like you said, is like you know we're not we're not ready, we're not re- we don't readily bash on Watsi, but I think that it's pretty honest to say that we need more communication about what's happening to pioneer and it sort of just feels like the priorities have shifted to historic because of the lack of paper and the impact of covid but doesn't mean that you can or should just abandon a format like it feels that it has been right and so it's like saying like hey we know you're busy we we know you're focusing on historic we know that you're trying to spin up a historic players tour and people are engaging through magic on an arena, perhaps more than they were in paper or in magic online. But you got to give us something. You got to like at least pretend that you're paying attention to the format and like and ban some of the stuff that's like 25% of the meta. I, I got to say, I don't buy the argument that many people have thrown out there that Pioneer was supposed to be a paper format, quote unquote. And because there's no paper magic, nobody is playing it. Like, I don't get that. Like, every format is supposed to be a paper format, sort of realistically. There is something, at this point, I'm ready to hear arguments for what is different about Pioneer that made it not launch as well as Modern did, you know, low those many years ago when Modern launched as well. I thought Pioneer launched beautifully, though. Like, it was the most popular format after launch for a couple months yeah i mean but i i think we're we're within a year of when it started i i would definitely consider that still the launch phase in my mind really like i i don't think that there's it's just i can't there's something about the card pool here that has made it harder for people to engage long term than happened originally with modern where yeah they had to do a lot of bannings and they had to do a whole bunch of different things you know they banned a bunch of cards at the beginning of modern then they kept banning things eventually i i don't like in my mind's eye i don't remember having this discussion nine months into when modern launched being like why does nobody care about modern you know what i mean why is nobody engaging on it i mean it's it's weird. I, I don't know why it's happening. I have a couple of theories that maybe we could talk about in a little bit, uh, but it's it's really unfortunate, I think. Like you said, it's kind of disappointing, ultimately. You know, we've all been fans of Pioneer, but I think, Shane, you took to it the most. And like 
and, and your your excitement was contagious and i i wanted to keep up with you because like i thought the format had a lot of potential i got to play in soul artifact again one of my favorite cards where do you stand now as as like the dive downs official pioneer stand yeah i think the the biggest issue and i think it's it it's a it's like a evil reflection in a mirror of modern which is like you know you, you look at modern as a player and you're like i can play a lot of different stuff and one deck might be 55%, one deck might be 53%, but those percentage points don't really matter to me because I'm, I'm not like the ultimate grinder playing a thousand games, right? With Pioneer, you can play a lot of decks that definitely just don't feel great. And you're like, why would I play this deck, right? Like you don't have a lot of, you, you don't have a lot of interest in being the in-soul player or a lot of interest in being the scales player because you're sort of saying, I'm going to, I'm starting from, on such the back foot that it doesn't even give me a lot of pleasure when my plan is so easily disrupted by by thoughtsies into fatal push into heartless act into you know inverter and the, the play patterns that are repetitive because of the smaller card pool and the overt power level of some of the strongest decks in the format and so i think that sort of makes people check out and fundamentally make it less fun right and I think then if a format's not fun, people aren't going to play it. And I think it's a consequence we're seeing here, right? Because we're seeing whether or not they're they're not playing on paper, we're still seeing modern leagues with 700 people. We're still seeing modern challenges firing twice a week and uh, all that kind of stuff. Whether And there's, there's no modern pro tour coming up or modern player store. So people are just playing it because they like it. Yeah, I have a little thing to build off of this they like it thing. I kind of feel like there's a weird thing going on in Pioneer where, you know, modern really scratched an itch that was around nostalgia. And I think that Pioneer's card pool might be in this weird space in between the super powerful cards that have been printed now and the super powerful cards that are not part of Pioneer because they're part of modern, where like the stuff that people are nostalgic from from the card pool of pioneer isn't good enough to be played in pioneer. And so it's not like you can get out birthing pod, which was like, you know, was it a card that people loved or splinter twin, which was a card that people loved or things like that. Like it just feels like maybe there's less of that nostalgia, regardless of what Stan just said about in soul artifact, <laughs> like I heard you but and I see you, but like, you know what I mean? Like none of these decks feel like the greatest hits that modern can be sometimes. I don't agree entirely. I think though the difference is that the cards that people did find beloved just aren't good enough to see play in pioneer. Like, Think about Siege Rhino. I think that's what I said. Is it what you said? That's what I was trying to say, but you you put it much more succinctly, yes. You know, like, people love Siege Rhino. People love 4-mana Gideon. Like, there were a lot of beloved standards between now and Return to Ravnica, and I think Pioneer could have been the format where those old decks saw play again because they weren't good enough for Modern, but they could have been, like, improved because they had a bigger card pool to improve on. But what we have are like the power creep of 2020 kind of like really sucking the air out of the room. There's, there's no sentimentality to pioneer, you know, like to piggyback on what Dave was saying, right. Is 
cryptic command still rules, right? In modern. And this is an old card. Damn straight. And and people are still casting cryptic commands and saying, like, I freaking love casting cryptic command. There's there's not there's not an equivalent to Pioneer. Yeah, I love casting Lightning Bolt. Lightning Bolt is in modern. I will keep casting Lightning Bolt in modern. Like I I I this is something that just occurred to me while we were talking, but like I really feel like that's a little bit of the problem here. Yeah, there's just there's not a lot of there's there's no storied history. The power level is more contemporary because of the power of the more recent cards like Stan mentioned, and they sort of push anything that was creative and fun, like a Rally of the Ancestors style deck or an Is It in Stole style deck. And this is just what you guys have already been saying, but I'm I'm on board with it, right? It's just kind of like people are much more quick to say, eh, I don't really care about this format because there's not they're, they're not the Tron player or the Jund player. They're like, okay, well, I was playing Simic uh, Delirium, but it really gets pushed out of the format by these other decks, and who cares? I I, I guess, like, my take, I don't know if we're disagreeing at this point. I just don't think that's a problem with Pioneer. I think, given more time, if the format was healthier, some of those identities and beloved memories of, like, you know, beloved memories of casting Tormenting Voice or something, I don't know, is it? is it phoenix again like those could have been developed but you just sort of can't keep up like you can't build those memories and build those experiences and fall in love with cards because your cards are bad if you're not playing inverter or heliod or lotus breach yeah and it's not like any of those cards use things that were cool seven years ago right like inverter of truth is not a deck that it's not a card that was played when it was in standard Right, like the most nostalgic card that's maybe in that deck is Thoughtseize. <laughs> Thoughtseize, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's not really a Thoughtseize deck. Like you just get to play Thoughtseize. Right. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at Lotus Breach, like a ton of the cards in Lotus Breach are new. They just have a little bit of extra amped up stuff because of and final enablement because they get like hidden strings, which was draft chaff. And pour over the pages, which was draft chaff. Like these are not cards that people were playing in standard. Like, and the cards that people thought would be good in this, a- Aetherworks Marvel energy decks in general. Like all of those things are, were, you know, people hated that standard. But maybe someone wanted to dust that stuff off and play it in Pioneer. It's not even. It's not even what the format's about. So I, I, it's tough. I mean, the Cryptic Command point is a great point, Shane, because people love Cryptic Command. And even when Cryptic Command is terrible in modern, people still love to play Cryptic Command. Now, it's been good for a long time in, at this point. You know, it's been good, definitely been objectively good since Mystic Sanctuary came out. But there were many years where if you talk to a pro about playing modern, they would be like, you can't play a deck with Cryptic Command in it. But people did all the time anyway. Like, it's it's weird. It's like the stories are not there for some reason in this format because the new cards are maybe the new cards are just too good. And when those cards rotate out of standard, maybe then what we'll have is like some nostalgia for people wanting to cast Uro again. And that's why they'll go to pioneer or, or historic, unfortunately, but can I just go on record? And I I don't know if you guys feel the same way as I do on this position, but I actually think inverter is, is the problem. Just, I, I think Lotus breach is proven itself as a deck. That's really easy to hate. Like anyone who comes prepared. Yeah, practically anyone can play Damping Sphere or like some amount of graveyard hate and, and you're done. But 
Heliod, maybe the jury's still out. Maybe it's as bad as Inverter. But like, I feel like Inverter of Truth, the card. If that card went, and like people would be thrilled. And I think we would start to see these challenges fire again. I think we would start to see more people in the leagues because like you would have this opportunity to see like, can I go fast enough to beat Heliod or can I like have a plan, a mid-range plan against Breach? Yeah, you kind of you beat me to my thought experiment I was going to propose for you all, which was what would you change about Pioneer to make it more popular? So you're saying, Stan, just Inverter. Yeah. And potentially potentially something else if, if Heliod still proves too good. Dave, what do you think about that? I mean, I definitely would would I think that I would ban inverter at this point and just see what happens. I know that Ross Miriam said this on Pioneer Cast last week. I mean, I might consider banning Thassa's Oracle, banning Lotus Field, banning like I would like who who's holding any of these decks at this point? Like just burn it down. <laughs> like yeah, you could still you could still play Ballista in modern you know, that's the only card that's, I think, like sentimental and, and somewhat costly, right? So it just makes some changes, get people reinvigorated into playing, get people experimenting again, figure out what the new tier one is, you know, what what's great, what's not so great, I think is all, that's really what magic is about, right? Is solving the puzzle right, and having fun doing so. I don't think I would take anything off the ban list to try to solve this for what it's worth. Yeah. I think, I don't think that there's anything that's really particularly safe to pull off i mean I, I you know shane i know you have you have oath of nissa in your notes maybe i mean but it's really good with teferi three yeah it's it, there's a lot to that i think i mean looking at the ban list it's probably everything's pretty good right now i mean like maybe leyline of abundance is worth a shot at unbanning just because they've hit green devotion like three separate times and so maybe that pushes them back into like a tier one type power level, but it's not necessary. I think that inverter Oracle, I mean, fine, take ballista from me. I can still play it in modern and maybe something like Lotus field, which is just silly. Um, so, and then see what happens. I don't know if ballista has to go like at least in that deck, an instant speed removal spell can sometimes disrupt the combo. You know what I mean? It, it it kind of has the splinter twin effect, but in the good way, where like splinter twin force you to keep up some kind of interaction. With inverter, you pretty much need two counter spells to like potentially like beat that deck. I will say, in terms of like what we might unban in the current format, I don't think smuggler's copter is too strong. Like I think smuggler's copter can coexist with inverter and no, Iliad. It's too no good. Way. What? It's too good. No what way. Are you, what are you good. talking about? It, it, mono black is so good with Thoughtseize and the removal and smuggler's copter. It just fits way too well into the synergy. But I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like uh, what I'm saying is like, that'll just give us another deck to compete with these crazy pillars that are potentially too strong for the format. I, I just think smuggler's copter is just too good in general and al- always be a limit on aggro decks at the power level that this format is at. Like it's just, it can go in every deck, and so that means that every deck has to have it in order to pass a bar of feasibility, and that's really why it's a problem. More like if it cost one and a blue, I mean we've talked about this. If it was a colored artifact instead of a mono, instead of you know a non-colored artifact, it would probably be fine to be legal. But because it's a straight-up artifact card, it's too easy to put in different decks, and so you have to run it, and so that's bad in it in itself. At least until we get both. Well, here here's the thing. So we have a question coming up from later that I'm just going to put here 
now because it's germane to the conversation. And that is, you know, what do what would we want to see printed into Pioneer or what types of things would we want to see in Pioneer as far as new cards go? You know, I think that Judge Jack asked us that. And what do you think? Man, it's really hard for me because like it's really hard to know like what a card's impact is going to be on the format. I'm going to try to be more fun than analytical here. I think I honestly think Pioneer needs more taken away than added. But because if you if you add stuff, then like what's Pioneer's identity, right? Like if you say there's Bolt, then great. It makes red decks even better. And I'm not sure red decks are weak enough that Bolt is like necessary for it, right? Here's here's a, a couple things I think that are safe and fun and give not great decks more power is maybe something like Utopia Sprawl to make like a Tron-like deck or a ramp-like deck more powerful. We, we've seen those ramp decks exist where they sort of top out at like, you know, an Ugin type thing. But I think that making those a little bit better might be totally safe in this format. I think Dismember wouldn't be too bad because it's Dismember's always felt like a fairly balanced card in that if it's not in a black deck, you have to you pay the life loss. I think Dismember might be interesting and safe, but of course the Allied Lands. Give me fast Allied Lands. Give me fat. Give me uh, Allied Pain Lands. Make the field even. I think that's a given. I love these takes. These are great, Shane. I didn't read these beforehand. This is super well thought. Out. I mean, Dismember is insane <laughs> because <laughs> because it, it would involve the inclusion of Phyrexian mana. But I don't mind the idea of a spell that's like. It's one colorless to cast a negative five, negative five, and you take four life. Like, I, you know, whatever. Like, I think that that's a fine card. It's just li- maybe not literally that card. Uh, I think there's one other theory that I had that would kind of fits in here. I feel like part of what we're seeing is a bit of a problem where thought seize is the best piece of interaction that exists in the, in the format. And I'm not sure how deep that problem runs, but you know, it was an 80% of those prelim decks that ranked. It's just like, you know what I mean? Like you don't have any other options to play for one mana interaction spell other than Thoughtseize. And so I think that just constrains deck building. It makes decks that can run black much more powerful. It also just means like there's a lot of games where people are just losing cards and like, that's not fun. Now, I I don't want to ban Thoughtseize because I think Thoughtseize is also an important safety valve. I, I kind of feel like Path to Exile might be fine in in Pioneer as a way to give people an out for all of these different kind of like recurring effects, whether it's Uro or or whatever. It just seems like something that kills a creature for one mana would be nice to have in the format that's a little more clean than some of the stuff that we have right now. That's a take. I mean, I... It's like white isn't particularly weak, but also white very much relies on the Heliod combo. So let's say we we hit the Heliod combo a little bit, then sure, path seems more reasonable. I think that sort of, it really would be very challenging for like a Simic Delirium or a Saltide Delirium deck to want to move into something that had path. So all you're really doing, I think, is building up white-based decks with, with more premier removal, which might be totally safe. Yeah. I guess that my general trend is like, we need a little bit more valuable, lower casting cost removal. That's not just in black. Yeah. I mean, Fatal Push is fine. It's not as, it's not as powerful in 
a pioneer, of course, as it is in modern because of fetch lands, yada, yada, all the stuff that we say. I just think that um, we're seeing this like kind of like thought seize effect. And one way to do that is to give other colors cheap interaction. Stan, you have some takes on what you want to see in Pioneer. Yeah, so I would add Arbor Elf, uh, Magus of the Moon, Seasoned Pyromancer, Bloodbraid Elf, Utopia Sprawl Pillage. Just kidding. So you just you, you so you want Fetchless Modern? <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke for all the Ponza stands. What I really, really want in Pioneer, I've said this a trillion times now. I just want better counter magic to start. And I think Mana Leak and or Remand would be a great place to start. I think Remand is the safer one. Mana Leak is the better one. Um, I would really love Thought Scour. I'd love another one mana instant speed blue cantrip. And considering that we have Drown in the Lock as well as this new like black Delver of Secrets in the format, I think like Thought Scour would make for a really fun blue black deck that isn't Inverter. This like quasi graveyard matters black deck, um, like yeah, I'd like Bolt, but that's because like I just want to play Bolt in every deck ever. So I can buy the argument that it doesn't belong in Pioneer. Fine, but what about like Delver of Secrets? What about Baleful Strix? I don't think Delver would be too strong. Strix maybe, but Delver I think would be like pretty safe in any format without Brainstorm. Certainly in a format that doesn't have Brainstorm or Serum Visions. Yeah, Delver would be like a curiosity, probably. Maybe just something fun people mess with. Sure. I mean, I think you want a lot of powerful cards in the format. Um, but, you know, at this point, why not? <laughs> yeah, burn it down. Give us new power. I don't often say burn it down, but I, I feel like, <laughs> you know, three weeks ago, we tried to, like, put on a happy face and be like, get back in those Pioneer queues, everybody. And, uh, yeah, it's not getting any better. Well, three weeks ago, we had a glimmer of hope. Like, it actually seemed like things were normal, but it was just a flash in the pan, as it turns out. Okay. So I want to move on to the second part of the show, because we have a lot of good listener questions from our from our, from our our uh, the nation here, right? Um, quick modern takes. What would you ban? What would you unban, if anything? Because we forgot to do it earlier. Yeah, well, this is kind of the this is the ban talk, and so we were talking about pioneer bans and unbans. What would you what would you ban or unban in modern? I'll go first. My secret fantasy is that I would like Valakut to be banned. Please, again, bring it on. Sorry, I just man, it's so uninteractive and just kills you out of nowhere. It's just not fun. I don't think uh, I don't think that'll happen. So don't worry about it, primeval titan folks. I think we should go ahead and ban something from Neo Brand. At this point, just because that deck is gross and, uh, you know, someday something will come along and legitimately break it. So why don't we get rid of it beforehand? And then I'm going to be keeping a close eye on Astrolabe and Uro as well. Yeah, I don't think we're there, but I mean, you know, Astrolabe was banned in a couple of formats already. Maybe it's coming. Yeah, get it out. It doesn't need to be there. It's too ubiquitous. It does too much. It's just bye. All right. So Shane says, get rid of Astrolabe. I'm like a maybe. Stan, where are you at? On Astrolabe? Ambivalent. Well, I mean, Astrolabe, if you want to answer it, but in general as well. Um, The only card that I would consider unbanning in earnest is Preordain. Not Ponder, not Brainstorm, just Preordain. Uh, I don't think it'll make Storm, like, 
egregiously more powerful. I just think it'll be cool to have another one mana blue cantrip for like either blue red shells or you know there's there's other decks that want one mana cantrips ad nauseum for that matter. Um, in terms of the ban list, like I was just talking about how great and healthy modern is, so I don't personally feel like anything urgently needs to be banned. The only cards that I would potentially like subscribe to banning is either primetime or uro but i'm also of the opinion that the removal especially pat to exile and the quality of graveyard hate in modern is good enough that those cards are reasonably in check albeit incredibly incredibly powerful sounds good to me wow we went a lot deeper on this than i think we thought but if this podcast has proven anything it's never hard for us to fill two hours with content ridiculous i don't know how we do it i think it's because we like each other's company and also we seem to enjoy magic so i'm gonna i'm gonna take us out of this extended breakdown slash dive down and we'll go into a dive down slash wind down where we answer some awesome listener questions from the dive down nation so stay with us So as I mentioned, we thought it would be fun to continue the sort of grab bag check-in style episode with some listener questions that, you know, we got a lot of really good questions this week from the nation citizens in the Slack. Um, if you want to join the nation, participate in those Slack conversations, you get to ask us questions, ask each other questions, head over to patreon.com slash a dive down to join. Um, you can join the super secret Slack server, but we got stuff that was good, big enough for an entire episode. We got stuff that was just interesting that we wanted to talk about. So let's get into these while we still have a little bit of time. Yeah. And also, I'm going to be cracking some packs because we this is a live, chill time of the episode. I'll tell you guys if I open anything Dude, good. Dude, Marshall I Sutcliffe some- is going to kill us if we do a crack a pack on the show. We're not doing crack and pack. I don't do limited anymore. I don't know if you've heard my the discussion that I've had about that a bunch of times, but... All right, Alex asks, how do you track your performance? Do you care about stats or is it more about feel? How can you tell when a deck is good or when you're good with a deck? So I'll just go first. I don't actually track my performance. Oh man, a foil Theros Swamp, I want that. Foil Theros Swamp. I don't track my stats in an active way. When I was playing like more paper of just one deck, um, I was tracking stuff like when I was really trying to be good at in fact, I was tracking like matchups and stuff like that and notes. Um, I used to use my planeswalker points page a lot, like because that would track everything at the LGS. And I could also plug that into like a stats web page that let me look at that data in more interesting ways. But now paper is not really a thing. Planeswalker points aren't a thing. I don't really know what tracking is going to look like in the future for paper. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just testing for the episode. And I think that's what. Dave and Stan, that's probably what most of your play is right now too, right? Is like probably testing for episodes. Uh, Dave gets a few leagues leagues in a week, of course, but like there's no real reason for you to track that because it's just all over the place. Like it's just like I'm just testing a deck for like a league or two, some some casual games just to try to get to learn it and things like that. So I think it's a good mental exercise. I think it's good to do if you're trying to become a better player. But personally, um, I don't. I would use Excel if I did. I think there are some programs out there that help you, but I don't know what they are. Stan, have you used any of those? I think you have. I tried using mtgmeta.io. I even got into their recent beta to automatically track my MTGO performance. 
but even that I couldn't get it to stick. Um, I've also tried using the Excel method. I'm quite good at using Excel. I, I prefer Google Sheets, but same difference. But for whatever reason, I just can't really ever make a habit out of any one tracking method. I totally agree with you, Shane, that like when I'm doing testing for the show, whether it's a brand new deck that we're like going to dive into, or even if it's something like uh, Blue Black Delver, which I played a little bit over the weekend out of curiosity, like I don't think it always makes sense to track my performance with that deck or with that type of play. But even if I was, you know, playing a deck for, you know, my personal MTG goals, I just like, I can't ever get to the point where I even want to keep up with tracking or make sense of that data. It's, it just takes me out of the game a little bit more than I prefer. Dave, are you just going to crack packs or are you going to answer questions? No, I'm going to answer the question and then I'm going to tell you what's in this pack. Um, look, I don't track. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. I tried at different points in time when I was like really trying to be like a serious draft grinder. And I just learned early on that that's just not the goal that I have associated with magic right now. Like I want to learn, I want to learn like how to make better decisions and have that kind of thinking inform other parts of my life as best it can. It's the same reason that I like to try to improve at poker all the time is a similar impetus where it's all about like abstract thinking, trying to improve in that way. But you know, the qualitative stuff, like what my matchups are and the stuff that I would really discover through a spreadsheet, I'm not too worried about. I will say one metric I use for how my performance is doing in general is I keep an eye on how long it's taking me to burn through ticks and play points. And that's just so that I know like what my spend is and maybe then I know that I'm having a down month and I should take it easy for a little bit or something. But um, that's really the main goal that I have is just to enjoy it as much as possible. I'm not trying to get on the pro tour. Like I'm not trying to do any hardcore testing. And so that's just not really in the cards for me right now. Cool. Next question. Hold on, hold on. Before we move on, I do want to briefly talk about the sub question, which is like, how can you tell when a deck is good? And I will just point people again to this famous quote from Andrew Ellenbogen, early 2019, Pro Tour winner. Competitive magic is the art of correctly generalizing from sample sizes too small to draw real conclusions. And I think that's pretty darn true because you have to work with feel along with your experience to be like, okay, my my previous games have informed my, my concept of what is good and what is not good. Dave pulls an Uro from his <laughs> Theros Beyond Death pack. I, that's like the most expensive card by a country mile, I think. Oh, okay, I don't want Uro to get banned anymore, by the way, because now I have two. Uh, this so. is, c- can we clarify? That was a Target pack, wasn't it? That was. Yeah, these are from Target. The big cardboard. Great, Dave. Just great. I think we've talked about that quote before. I think it's one of those things where you have to go with numbers, but you can't generate enough data to be super meaningful. So by playing a lot of magic, you understand what feels good and what feels not so good and talking to other good players and just paying attention. So yeah, I think it's it's hard to answer when is a good deck good versus when am I good. Um, but I think that comes with experience that I probably don't even have, honestly. I, I think it also takes more data than some people are willing to, to do. Like we touched on this on bonus episodes. I, I'm sure we've mentioned this on the podcast, but like you can 05 a league with an amazing deck with a tier zero deck just because you haven't figured out how to pilot it yet. And that doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean that the deck is bad. It just means that you still have more learning to do. I mean, 
O5ing with a Pro Tour level deck is 100% my brand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the energy I bring to this podcast every week. So, you know. I don't think you can call yourself a casual spike until you've totally bummed out with an amazing deck. Yeah, 100%. All right. Judge Jack asks, what are your favorite promos? And what cards might you want as promos? I think um, focusing on the first part of the question, man, there's so many good judge promos. Well, can we frame this? Yeah, frame it. Frame it up, man. Do you guys play with promos? I love good promos. I try to avoid foils, except when I don't. But I have a few promos I like. Yeah, I I think that's what I would love to hear. Like, what are the promos that you guys liked enough to either buy, seek out, or actually put into decks because we can all agree there's like tons of cool godzilla cards i think the game day promos are how all magic cards should look like that they have great art that fills the whole card but the frame and text is laid on them in a way that still allows the text to be read while the art still shines why don't magic cards just look like this they have shown that it can be that way (laughs) Like it's not like a weird frame where it's like, uh, this these are hard to read and I don't really like them. And kind of a, it's like no, it's just this. It's just a magic card with better art. Nailed it. I I think I forgot about game day promos and hearing you mention that and just like thinking back on some of the ones that I collected from playing standard once upon a time. Like they're awesome. Yeah, like the Rex Sage. The I played Air of the Wilds in my own like red green monster deck. I got all the game day promos for that. It's called adding value, Shane. Oh. And it's a, it's a little trick that the companies use to make things more desirable Ugh. now and again. It's a uh, it's a forced scarcity kind of situation Boring. in this game of forced scarcity that we do. Um, I mean, I like those. Yeah, I like those a lot. I have some other ones that I prefer. I really like the textless promos that they used to send out for the magic like rewards program when you were like a, it was like a loyalty program that was back in the mid 2000s. And I have a lightning helix, a textless lightning helix that I play with, and a textless negate that I play with from those series that I like quite a bit. Um, they remind me of the fact that they came sort of from the game store that my dad used to own. Um, the other thing that I have as far as favorite promos go is I play in my modern decks when I have islands. I try to use my arena foil promo islands in those decks as my basics and those are uh they're the beta art of of an island but they're foil and they are very pretty so i play with those i seldom go out of my way for promos it happens but i don't do it often that said just today i bought two promo copies of the fnm sprite dragon since i cracked two of those and like the promo packs and i was like well now i need to finish this playset because everyone knows i'm going to try to cast a sprite dragon in paper one day the only other promo that i think i ever sought out intentionally were the full art lightning bolts from the 2019 gps that was a great i did that too and my threshold for that is just like a i love the art i certainly love lightning bolt i know i'm going to just get a lot of play out of them so it made a little bit of sense for me to like bling out my deck and and they were non-foil so that that went a long way. Can I can I just say while we're talking about promos and stuff, you know, like Secret Layer is a big thing that happened this year as far as like promo art goes. I was really disappointed in the Lightning Bolt 
ones. I was like, this art is not that great. I I don't really want these. Like that would have been a home run for me. It probably would have been the only secret layer I would have gone out of my way to get and just not interested. So that was kind of disappointing to me. I, I much prefer the GP promo and I would probably like to go out and get the path promos as well, just because I play those so much, but we'll, yeah. uh, we'll see where that happens. Those look great. I got a few of those from when I was at uh, GP Phoenix. So that feels good. I think there was one lightning bolt promo from the secret lair that looked really good. It was, it, it's got like the skull cloud. It, it, it's barely a red card. It looks like a black and green card. That's funny. I'm trying to find who the, uh, who the artist is, but all right. Joe asks, what makes a deck eternal versus more fleeting? And this is a ambitious question for us to try to answer because I think we can maybe make a whole episode out of it, but we're going to try to do it in under five minutes. Or definitely our style. Three minutes. Three minutes. The amount of time it takes Dave to open a pack. Um, what makes a deck eternal? I think it has to be really strong to begin with. Uh, I also think it has to have like not dealt with bans for a long portion of time. Or at least like the ban that may have impacted a deck wasn't necessarily banning like the single strongest card. So like something like Amulet Bloom, Titan Amulet, Amulet Titan still survives because even though Summer's Bloom was really good, Amulet and Primeval Titan are also still amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know. This, this, this is a little bit of a complicated question, but I think having new access to new technology at a reasonable cadence and also not losing like the single most important linchpin cards in that deck are also two of the most important qualities. I think contrasting like Eternal versus Fleeting is kind of the interesting thing here right like because what modern decks that have existed would you consider to be truly fleeting like that that spirits. didn't just eat it that didn't just eat a ban spirits yeah like but spirits was playable for what like at least a year year and a half maybe or do you think it was more of a flash in the pan i think it was a year and a half yeah it was from m19 to the middle of last year late last year yeah like the decks that I feel that are the most fleeting are still like a decent lifespan, but that's what you want out of something like modern, right? Like, so hollow one, like eventually just sort of like becomes not worth the squeeze when like hollow one, you're just getting like a four, four and then faithless looting, of course, just sealed the entire deal. Like lantern control, even before Mox Obel ate a ban, I feel like lantern control fell off the popularity. Um, like what I was thinking, something like, you know, obs on mid range, that that was a deck that you could it's not around anymore but it definitely wasn't fleeting like it was like playable for like 4 years probably yeah i mean i think that there's a there's a tension here between things that can evolve and things that cannot evolve yes right? that's that's the big thing is like there are decks that are i think that especially in modern everybody knows that there's clearly a class of cards that are the best cards in the format right? Like there's just a group of cards that are like, these are the pillars of the format. There's 200 of them. It's lightning bolt and lava spike. It's like all the staples and all the different decks. And you can just kind of like arrange them in a spreadsheet and know like, okay, these are cards that are of the right rate of the right power level to be able to be played in modern as a class together. And then the decks sort of pivot around those, right? And so there are decks that will evolve as either pieces of technology are removed from them via ban or outmoded via new cards. So I think if you imagine like Jund, you know, Jund is always going to be some kind of playable deck because they will print cards that are red, black, or green that 
eventually go into a deck that is mid-range. And like sometimes they'll outmode the O cards and sometimes they won't, but that play style will be around still. The stuff that is more fleeting, I think, is stuff that's parasitic or weird combo-ish, where it's kind of like someday infect might totally die because there is a mechanic that is just better than infect somehow. You know, it's more aggro than infect is. Like somehow. red white hammer or something becomes even better. Right. The the flip side of that is a deck that's very self-contained, like Ad Nauseum, where almost all the cards in Ad Nauseum don't go in other decks. And so maybe they'll just be a weirder combo deck that comes out someday that doesn't use any of those cards, and that deck will just be dead, too. That's how I think about it. Wow. Dave, we don't even need to do an episode on this topic now. You just nailed it. It's done. Nailed it. Dave, what's what's some of our other questions we have in this this question bucket? That you want to that you want to look at uh what's your what has been your favorite deck to play and why it was asked of us by the mediocre it's a good name by the way stan favorite deck go i have a new favorite deck every year and i don't think i have i don't think i have a single one favorite deck of all time 2020 is ponza last year it was like is it phoenix mostly skeletal skeletal was up there as well that was a pet deck. Phoenix was like the deck I felt like I kind of mastered. Blue Moon. 2018, definitely the year of Blue Moon. I do I like that you do find affection with the style of deck. You know, you're 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 control Fing for that skeletal and the deck dumps and stuff like that. Yeah. Those were good times while they lasted. Shane, do you have a favorite deck? Is it Russian? I mean, I think my favorite deck that I've ever really played I, th- I think it's just the one i've had the most success with and that was like just con standard red green monsters and it was like i was fresh into magic i was digesting a lot of content i was playing multiple times a week my wife was very patient with me you know like every week brian kibler wrote an article for seg and he basically just wrote about the evolution of what he was testing with like teamer monsters or red green monsters and I just like those aggressive creature strategies with like well-statted and, and fast creatures, maybe some burn-based finishing and reach. And I just like cheesing out wins, I guess. And I had a lot of fun and, and some decent success for a newer player with that deck. Mine's really all over the place. Like I think as far as period of modern, I really enjoyed end of 2018, early 2019, when we started this podcast, essentially playing Phoenix, Mono Red Phoenix, and Bant Spirits. You know, those were a lot of fun matches for me at the time. I've kind of taken over a mantle on this podcast as being the Death Shadow person. I enjoy playing that deck at different points in time, and other times I absolutely hate it. But I'm never, like, I've never come to master it, and that's part of the reason that I think it's interesting. I think, realistically, the deck that I had the most fun with and probably the most the most success with was Mono Black Curse Scroll Pox during kind of like Tempest era magic, which was a long, long time ago. This would have been in about 1999, but um, it was a sweet deck. I loved playing it, loved playing uh, uh, all the different stuff there. So Curse Scroll is sweet. Don't forget it existed. I think if I ever got to play Legacy blue red delver would actually be my favorite deck of all time since i would get to play lightning bolt and counterspell in a mid-range shell where i could like be an aggressor instead of having to like hold up counter magic and just like cheese out wins super slowly but you know i can't afford a volcanic island so 
or do I really have anywhere to play Volcanic Islands? Do it online if you want. <laughs> you could try it. I, I could. I could, but I don't know if I want. Stan, are there other formats that you would like to try? This is a question from Jack the Judge from our Slack. If Historic was on M2GO, I would have tried it by now. And that's a promise. The fact that it's Arena exclusive and that I don't really love the Arena platform and it well, the arena platform is fine. This the arena economy that I don't necessarily want to adopt has kept me from playing historic, but I love non-rotating formats on principle. So like historic being this hot new thing makes me curious and interested. And like I've been seeing a lot of cool decks, like just on Twitter, arena decklist usually retweets them. Um, but the fact that I can't play historic at all means uh, I just have to dream a little dream. Yeah, I think historic is probably my answer too. I've started to eyeball it a little bit more, especially as Pioneer has sort of waned a little bit. Just, you know, thinking about a lot, trying to transfer some of our knowledge or our experiences with this to that format as well. So, I mean, it does concern me that like Nexus of Fate is available in that format, I think, which is lame. But if you look, here's here's the thing. I'm going to ask a question of people listening to this podcast. If you would like to hear us talk about Historic sometime, shoot us an email or tweet at us. Uh, we would love to know if you're interested. Yeah, definitely interested in Historic. I know a lot of our citizens are into it. Um, one thing I've heard a lot about is Canadian Highlander, which is basically like a high-powered 1v1 singleton format. And the way they sort of control the power is you have like a limit of how many points you can have in your deck. And they basically assign points to like really high powered cards. So like Black Lotus or Ancestral Recall is like seven points or Trina Nemesis or Dig Through Time is one point. Um, I just was would be scared of what this would do to like my card budget and also who the heck would I play this format with and versus. So it's more of a curiosity than anything, but I think it seems cool. You know what I'm just remembering? Um, Penny Dreadful, I always thought was a really cool concept for MTGO especially. And like to have a community and a metagame of a deck that costs like, I think, $2 to build, if that. I always sort of loved that constraint. And that's what I think often breeds creativity in interesting situations is like constraint around building conditions. So even though like Popper is cool, I've just never been super interested in Popper. Penny Dreadful, I find a little bit more interesting because the constraints are so much more strict. So I think we have time for one more question. There was a few more that I really wanted to talk about. We'll have to get to them in another mailbag. But again, Jack asks, what cards would you like to see printed into Modern or Pioneer? We talked about Pioneer a little bit, but I'm going to have some hot takes here. Okay. Um, for Modern, I want to see Red Elemental Blast. Just who cares? Just give it to red, not blue, just red. And I want to see Carpet of Flowers. <laughs> Carpet of Flowers is a green and just single green enchantment at the beginning of each of your main phases. If you haven't added mana with this ability this turn, you may add X mana of any one color where X is the number of islands target opponent controls. Is that from Mirage? What is that from? Oh, man, I don't even know. You don't get to ask for it if you don't know where it's from. Well, I did. It is Ur Urza's Saga. Surprisingly, Urza's Block. So yeah, I'm. I just. I just want. Uh, I want these two cards. No real reason why. I mean, 
So Jack asked us about Red Elemental Blast and Blue Elemental Blast specifically as being, if we thought those were interesting, they're clearly too good. I mean, we already have Red Elemental Blast. It's called Veil of Summer. It's green, though, Dave. Gotta be honest. Yeah, it already exists, though. (laughs) Uh, You know me. I want careful study. (laughs) I would like to bring back my birds. Bring the burbs. As they say. And uh, we'll see if it would work with that. I don't know if it would. Containment Priest was on my list for a long time, but obviously it's there now. Plus one to careful study, probably too strong for modern. I don't think flashback on Faithless Looting is the only reason why that card was too good. You know, I'd love Counterspell. Top five favorite cards of all time. Counterspell, I have... You know that can't be in the format, though. A beautiful playset of Burkadian Masks. Counterspells I've always wanted to play, never really got a chance to. I'm just going to remind everybody that I have a playset of beta counter spells that I would love to play. Wow, Dave. Wow. Way to rain on my <laughs> not impressive parade. Uh, the only other card that I think actually is kind of a reasonable contender is Baleful Strix. I, I would like to see that. You already got Baleful Strix. Yeah, but you have to work for it. You have to put like all these bad basic lands in your deck. People seem to be doing just fine. I think as soon as Arkham's Astrolabe gets banned... I don't think we're going to see a lot of Ice Fang Coatles. I mean, it does help with that, for sure. Yeah. and At which point, I think Baleful Strix will like be the only answer. Yeah, I feel so bad. We didn't get to... We had so many good questions, and I think we're a little ambitious with this, but it, all it does is give us stuff to work with in some coming up episodes. So thank you, Nation, for giving us uh, these awesome topics to talk about and keep on giving them to us. You know what? We'll definitely do a wind down next week where we'll get to maybe recycle one or two of these questions. I I will personally see to it. Beautiful. I'm not going to be on the show next week, everybody. So have a good week. I'm already sad. All right. That wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast, pick our brain on something in Modern or Pioneer. Maybe you want to tell us to do more historic content. You can do that by tweeting us at the dive down, all one word, or emailing thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon. Find that at patreon.com slash the dive down. Also, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. If you sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down, all one word, you'll get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. Promo code the dive down, all one word. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and look forward to six more months of magic! <laughs>